Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. My name is Egberto Willis, a former partner at McKinsey & Company, Helen Lee Buigis, has held uh, has helped transform more than 25 firms over the course of a 25-year career. She has raised hundreds of millions of dollars in capital, renegotiated billions of dollars in debt, and brought dozens of companies into the black. Buig has lectured around the world. She sits on multiple boards, including those of companies in retail, manufacturing, oil and gas, renewable energy, and automotive parts sectors. She graduated magna cum laude from Princeton University and earned an MBA from the Harvard Business School. Buig established the Reboot Foundation to promote more critical thinking. Welcome aboard, Helen. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted. I am so sorry for mispronouncing your last name. Uh, my my other language is Spanish, not not uh, French. So bear with me there, okay? No worries at all. None of my American friends know how to pronounce my married last name either. Well, well, you know, I, well, good. I don't feel all that bad after. <laughs> Anyhow, we're going to talk about fake news today. You are the fake news expert. You founded a company called Reboot, where you say, where it's, it, the tagline is elevating critical thinking. And let me just tell you, I love your website and I have some critical questions for you. Perfect. Let's get started then. Now, why did you, first of all, why did you form this company? I mean, your, your pedigree says that this isn't what you do. <laughs> Well, like any foundation, I think it starts with a personal story. Um, the personal story is that my daughter, who is now 10, I founded the Reboot Foundation in 2018. She was just around seven years old. And she came on one day and she said, Mom, I'm trying to do a research paper. I need your computer uh, because I need to go on Wikipedia. And that got me thinking, you know, when I was at, when I was seven years old, when we had to write research, well, research paper, meaning 10 sentences, really, um, I would go to the Encyclopedia Britannica. And clearly, the way children gather information today, just like for adults, over 90% of adults gather information online, um, children do the same. And I started asking myself, what are we doing differently in our children's education in light of the fact that they predominantly gather information online in this digital age? And that was the really the genesis of the need for teaching more critical thinking at a younger age. Now you're gonna say, how did you make that jump relative to the digital age? I think the clear message is we all know that any search engines, let alone social media, their algorithm is structured so that it prioritizes what websites or what sites you've been on already. So it's very much geared towards selective thinking. And hence, it's important that we really give the building blocks and the tools necessary to children, even at a young age. And that is critical thinking. And so in, in effect, you're teaching them how in this ocean of information, how to best select the information that I don't want to say the, the, the information that best not suits their needs, but it's more factual to what they're doing. It's not only factual to what they're doing, but it's also about learning to review opposing views, uh, which is obviously what is lacking in our society today, as demonstrated by the Capitol attack yesterday. 
Um, and I think these are kind of the skills that um, when it's very difficult online to differentiate even what a blog is, let alone from institutional sources, the capacity to take a step back, realize your own cognitive biases, and think about your own thinking when you are evaluating, researching, or forming your convictions, these are very critical skills, especially in this day and age. And practically speaking, in the workforce as well, as you know, um, any um, surveys that are done of people talking about what are the critical skills necessary for the future generation, critical thinking skills comes as one of three. And yet, when we did our survey at the Reboot Foundation, majority of the people that we surveyed believed that not only did they not get a critical thinking um, education from K to 12, but that their children are not getting it either. Well, uh, first of all, um, I'm glad that we are talking after the insurrection that occurred a couple of days ago, because I think that is one of the, that is the culmination of what can occur when uh, misinformation, fake news get out of hand. So we, we are not just talking in, in, in platitudes here, we're talking about something that actually happened. So how do you define- Yeah, just news? as much as a capital attack, even about COVID itself, COVID-19 itself. Right. If you think about the number of myths that people believe and the amount of fake news that there is around COVID and how the virus spreads to what needs to be done, it's pretty mind-blowing. And that obviously is life and death matters. Now, uh, define fake news. How do you define fake news? It's true that fake news was something that was really coined um, in the last election. And originally it was uh, coined when um, they discovered that the quote that the Pope supported Donald Trump came out of Macedonia. And that was the genesis of fake news. I think now more and more people and journalists are becoming more specific in differentiating what is fake news. So distinguishing what is misinformation versus disinformation, for example, as you alluded to earlier yourself. Misinformation is obviously um, mistakes, mis um, somewhat misleading information, whereas disinformation is outright hoaxes and lies. And it's true that fake news kind of combobulates both of those arenas today which is probably something that we need to be more careful about identifying. I think it's, it, you just did, made a very important statement that I think people need to understand. And that is differ, differentiation between misinformation and disinformation. Misinformation at times can be not benign, but could have been just erroneously, as you've discussed on your page uh, at, at uh, Reboot, what is it? Reboot-foundation.org where you actually talked about uh, how uh, you identify misinformation based on, I think, uh, uh, having complete information and misremembering and that sort of thing. There, there's a difference between misremembering something and outright lying about a particular event. Now, what we have in uh, that created the insurrection this week uh, was created by outright disinformation, correct? That's right. <laughs> That's right. And what we have about mask wearing, et cetera, that would be considered disinformation as well, correct? Absolutely, and, and the reality is, is most people, um, at least in the COVID situation, 
it is a question of media literacy because a lot of people were gathering information from sites that were unknown. Very few people would actually go to the CDC site to gather information. So there were myths, everything from um, in the springtime because of weather and temperature, COVID would disappear. Well, we went through the summer, it didn't disappear to um, questions around um, where, where it spread from as well. So there was a lot of different myths and unfortunately it comes, it's, it's just a demonstration of some of the challenges that we have where people don't know as well how to discern and gather the factual information because the internet is wonderful. We have a wealth of information, but it's also very difficult to navigate. There is no distinction between blogs, between opinions, between facts, what is an institutional source, what is a sponsored source. And then all of this is just accentuated even further and aggravated by the utilization of social media, which is even more disturbing because over 90% of news that people gather comes via the social media platform. Now, Helen, one of the interesting things about it is you are not a um, you're not a fanatic of TED Talks because uh, you don't think it presents enough of a venue to really extrapolate on information. Um, I, I gave I, a TED Talk. <laughs> I know exactly you did give a TED Talk, but let, let me just say one thing. I I do a show one hour, uh, five days a week, and I do a blog where I do about three to five pieces every day. I agree with you. To get real information out, you have to spend the time. You have to be able to do do the work. Um, how can we? We have twenty four hour news sources right now. It seems like we have all the necessary parameters to fulfill your wants. And your wants is that we can actually structure information in a manner that it's complete. Talk to me about that. The the challenge is. It's not the work that the journalists are doing that's the problem. It's the challenges that you as a journalist yourself is facing in terms of trying to get your articles out via Twitter. Um, it's, it's all around that instant gratification. I'm not even going to go into the discussion of influencers or whatnot, but the fact of the matter is um, for, you, for your articles to be seen, um, if it goes through via social media, via Twitter, you're just going to get that many clicks and that many more uh, sightings. The problem is probably because your articles are fact-checked and they're not as sensational in terms of preying on people's emotions with the titles or with the content, in social media, it's not going to be high on the ranking because the algorithm of Facebook and all these social media sites is, and even they will admit that what takes higher priority in what shows up when you uh, go on Facebook is around content that is uh, prey to your emotions because that keeps people on their platform longer. 
I must admit that in given the titles of my programs, I try to get a, some sort of a balance. Uh, the, the articles all factual. I try to get a balance. In fact, when we're posting your articles, we are going to fight like hell to make sure people see the good words that you have to say by trying to give a title that will hit an emotion, but with some sort of a fact-based uh, instinct in it. Now, I have a, an important question here because you're you're an MBA, you're also um, uh, magna cum laude, all these great things in the American uh, school or college university system. I I I go under the premise that in order for misinformation to grow or for any seed to grow, you have to have fertile ground, fertile land from which to have it sprout. How how is indoctrinating someone in whatever form, whether it is on your history, a country's history, uh, how does that allow uh, what we've seen? Uh, I, I, let me ask it a different way. I look at the, 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 the insurrection that we had this week. And much of what I see in that insurrection is not that these are bad people. No. What I see is that these are people that have heard about an Americana that has never existed. These are a people that believe they're losing something they've never had. And these are a people that the system has actually uh, hurt looking for a scapegoat. And I, I mean, think it's a, it's, a para, it's a parallel reality show that kind of is going on, right? Right. Um, I, 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 to, I totally agree with you that these are not ill-intentioned people. Um, but there are studies that show that even people who are well-educated, who are trained, if they keep continuing hearing lies and are pounded with faulty information, even if their initial instinct is to question the subject matter, just by default of being pounded with the same information, the brain actually starts believing it. So that's, that's one phenomenon that's going on. The second is it goes back to the fundamentals of the Reboot Foundation. If we don't build on building blocks of critical thinking skills, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy, it's not comfortable to always challenge your initial instinct or convictions that you have. It's actually very uncomfortable. Very. Uh, and, and, and so unless you really make an effort to challenge your own thinking, which is the ultimate liberty, if you think about it, um, if you don't have the habit of doing that, then the fallback is to read things, absorb things without really questioning the source or even whether or not there might be a different point of view or whether or not perhaps because of your ex prior experience or your uh, misfortunes that you might not have a cognitive bias about a matter. So that's why I think it's a combination of what we need to do in terms of media, both governments, social media companies. We really need to rethink how information is being distributed. 
But more importantly, I think we need to provide that education to our children, as well as us adults, again, as reminders that critical thinking is indeed absolutely necessary in this digital age. Helen, what you just said there is the magic of our conversation. First of all, the ultimate freedom is, in fact, the ability for one to continue to not change their minds, but learn, which that learning may change their minds. Yes. That is important. And let me just tell you that the experiment you just talked about, I did with Rush Limbaugh. I spent okay. one day listening to Rush Limbaugh, and uh, I did it intentionally so I could get out of it later on. I did it intentionally. And the idea was at the end of that week, I started falling back onto some of the ridiculous things that he said. I, it, actually, it actually sounded plausible. And when I saw somebody do something that triggered what he said, that was my initial reaction. So I actually did the experiment on myself and then slapped myself and said, oh, don't forget. Back to reality. <laughs> right. You got that from Rush Limbaugh. Um, so, I mean, I think that last statement that you made is it's imperative that we can get across to people the, the the biggest freedom is the ability to learn and not not let your biases be the only thing that's one of the reasons in the work that i do i i don't i i, I am a progressive very very progressive person who entertains the right all of the times entertain in in, in what we do all of the times now in in that light and remember the original question that I asked you about having the, 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 the fertilized soil, therefore misinformation to grow. How important is, is what that base is? Let me give an example. I want to be clear on this one specifically. We are an exceptional country and we have been so, uh, you know, uh, we, we are the bastions of morality. A lot of those people that were marching there really believe that and they think there are changes i mean we are the country where a whole lot of bad things have occurred that we have kept out of the history books how has that not been in some sort of a way fake information that actually challenges what's occurring today so i'm going to ask you to expand a little bit more in your question because i know it's an important question and i want to address it here's here's the thing let, let, let me give a let me give a classic example there are two things special about america we are a very strong capitalist country and number two we were completely and entirely based on slavery okay and not only black slaves but all slaves that the people who built the pacific railroad they were partially slaves but we, we don't call them that we can we can enumerate all these particular issues that is our foundation now in that being one's foundation to have a class of people believe that you are uh, that you are exceptional in these things don't that then make an insurrection that is violent in its nature, given your violent origin, not seem all that out of whack and that anything can trigger it then? So that goes back to people's sensation of entitlement or values that uh, people are based on. And I think, um, I, you know, I'm not trying to bring everything back to critical thinking, mm -hmm. but it goes back to, um, that sense of entitlement originates from your original biases. Exactly. And I think the important thing is 
especially even in universities today, and this is something that I struggle with, we teach people how to write a very good thesis and a paper, which includes an introduction and a conclusion and evidence to back it up. But we don't actually challenge um, even scholars to actually look at the counter arguments to see if there are flaws in your original thesis and the evidence. And that by definition nurtures people's biases. Right. And then we keep building on it because the thesis by definition is drawing upon other scholarly books. So what do people do? When they are studying something, they will go to the footnotes, go to um, the introduction chapter titles, and look for those paragraphs that justify, again, their original bias. So, so this, this, is, this is fundamentally what critical thinking is, is supposed to avoid, it's supposed to help you avoid. And, and, that, and that is why I, I, don't, I don't want to, I, I don't want to change the tone of your question, but I do think that a lot of that basis relies on the fact that we're not doing enough critical thinking. Helen Lee B. Biggie. Buig. Buig. <laughs> Helen, Helen Lee Buig. It was my pleasure to have you on Politics Done Right. But before I go, I'd like to ask you, how can people get in touch with you? How can people work with you with your new organization, uh, Reboot? Thank you. So our website is reboot-foundation.org. Um, all of our studies and material are guides for parents or guides for teachers. Um, they are all online free. Um, and you can sign up for a newsletter where we will send you updates of new studies and articles we publish. Last question, what, did I, what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't ask you? I just, it's, it's not a question, but I do wanna applaud all journalists for what you're doing, because I know that this day and age, it can feel very frustrating, um, especially around the things that are going on when you have President Trump that used to denigrate really the solid investigative work of journalists and what you're trying to do. Um, I can only imagine it's frustrating and I do wanna applaud you for the work that you're doing, because if we don't have journalists like yourselves, then the information that people can use to guide their decision-making is very much lost. So I, I did want to conclude with that. Thank you so kindly, Helen. And please folks, Reboot Foundation, the founder of Reboot Foundation, thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Then Right. Thank you. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.